Chapter Eleven of Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Abraham Lincoln: A History, Volume Six, by John Hay and John George Nicolay. Chapter Eleven: Financial Measures the wisdom displayed by mr lincoln in choosing his cabinet not from among his personal adherents but from among the most eminent representatives of the republicans of the country shone out more and more clearly as the war went on and its enormous exigencies tested the utmost powers of each member of the government a great orator and statesman has said that in this respect mr lincoln showed at the outset that nature had fitted him for a ruler and accident only had hid his earlier life in obscurity mr evarts says i cannot hesitate to think that the presence of mr seward and mr chase in the great offices of state and treasury and their faithful concurrence in the public service and the public repute of the president's conduct of the government gave to the people all the benefits which might have justly been expected from the election of either to be himself the head of the government and much else besides i know of no warrant in the qualities of human nature to have hoped that either of these great political leaders would have made as good a minister under the administration of the other as president as both of them did under the administration of mr lincoln i see nothing in mr lincoln's great qualities and great authority with this people which could have commensurately served our need in any place in the conduct of affairs except at their head we do not question that posterity will confirm this sober and impartial judgment of one of the most intelligent of contemporary observers lincoln chase and seward were by a long interval the first three republicans of their time and each by what would almost appear a special favor of providence was placed in a position where he could be of most unquestioned service to the country had either of the three except lincoln been president the nation must have lost the inestimable services of the other two we have already dwelt at some length upon the responsibility which devolved during these years upon the secretary of state and upon the unfailing courage sagacity and industry with which he met it before recounting an incident which threatened for a time to deprive the president of the powerful assistance of his two great subordinates it will be necessary to review in a manner however brief and inadequate some of the main points in the administration of the finances during the war the republican party came to power at a time when its adversaries had reduced the credit of the country to a point which now appears difficult to believe even before the election of mr lincoln howell cobb the secretary of the treasury found it difficult to obtain the small sums necessary to meet the ordinary expenses of the government and early in the session of congress which began in december eighteen sixty after the election of mr lincoln amid the gathering gloom of imminent civil war congress authorized the issue of ten millions of treasury notes payable in one year to be issued at the best rate obtainable by the secretary of the treasury 
that officer having advertised for bids for half the amount authorized only a small sum was offered the rates ranging from ten to thirty six per cent the secretary accepted the offers at twelve obtaining even at that exorbitant rate a meagre sum afterwards a syndicate of bankers upon hard conditions proposed by themselves took the balance of the five millions at twelve per cent a month later when mr cobb had retired and john a dix had assumed the charge of the treasury the slight increase of public confidence derived from the character of the new secretary enabled him to dispose of the other five millions at an average of ten and five-eighths per cent in february congress having authorized a further loan of twenty-five millions at six per cent mr dix was able to obtain eight millions at a discount of nearly ten per cent it was in this depressed and discouraging state of the public finances that salmon p chase took charge of the treasury without any special previous experience without any other preparation for his exacting task than great natural abilities unswerving integrity and fidelity and unwearying industry he grappled with the difficulties of the situation in a manner which won him the plaudits of the civilized world and will forever enshrine his name in the memory of his fellow-citizens to quote mr evarts again the exactions of the place knew no limits a people wholly unaccustomed to the pressure of taxation and with an absolute horror of a national debt was to be rapidly subjected to the first without stint and to be buried under a mountain of the last taxes which should support military operations on the largest scale and yet not break the back of industry which alone could pay them loans in every form that financial skill could devise and to the farthest verge of the public credit and finally the extreme resort of governments under the last stress and necessity the subversion of the legal tender by the substitution of what has been aptly and accurately called the coined credit of the government for its coined money all these exigencies and all these expedients made up the daily problems of the secretary's life whether the genius of hamilton dealing with great difficulties transcended that of chase meeting the largest exigencies with greater resources is an unprofitable speculation they stand together in the judgment of their countrymen the great financiers of our history immediately upon assuming office mr chase addressed himself to the difficult work before him the only provisions which had been made by law for the support of the government were the fragments of the loan authorized but unsold of his predecessor satisfied that the rates at which money had been borrowed both by cobb and by dix were unnecessarily degrading to the national credit he firmly refused terms similar to those which they had accepted and succeeded in borrowing three million dollars none of it at a lower rate than ninety-four and a few days later he borrowed five million dollars more at par even in may after the outbreak of the war he was able to place some nine million dollars of government loans and notes at a rate only a little below their face value these were of course but temporary makeshifts 
based upon previous legislation but when congress met on the fourth of july in that first special session called by president lincoln an entirely new system of finance had to be instituted the national debt on the first of july was ninety million dollars and there was a balance in the treasury of only two million dollars there was something appalling in the sudden and monstrous increase of the expenses of the government as a consequence of the war the appropriations for the fiscal year eighteen sixty to sixty one were but seventy nine million dollars and the estimates for the year following notwithstanding the threatening outlook were only for seventy five million dollars nobody foresaw the coming exigencies no provision was made to meet them mr chase's estimates for the first physical year of his administration reached the astounding aggregate of three hundred eighteen million five hundred thousand dollars but before the short session of congress adjourned even this enormous sum was found inadequate to meet these immense demands he proposed to raise eighty million dollars by taxes and two hundred forty million dollars by loans by increasing the taxes upon imports he expected to add twenty seven million dollars to the thirty million dollars already derived from the tariff and three million dollars from miscellaneous sources made up sixty million dollars leaving twenty million dollars to be derived from direct taxes and the excise congress responded with the greatest decision and patriotism to the proposition of the secretary they authorized on the seventeenth of july a loan of two hundred and fifty million dollars and passed laws increasing duties on a great number of articles they apportioned a direct tax of twenty million dollars among the states which was cheerfully paid by the loyal states and an unsuccessful attempt was made to enforce it by commissioners for the states in rebellion the estimates voted for the army were two hundred and seven million dollars for the navy fifty six million dollars and only one million three hundred thousand dollars for civil and miscellaneous purposes every day during the summer and autumn the expenses of the war increased for the last quarter of the year they averaged nearly fifty million dollars a month one of the first measures of relief adopted by the secretary under the authority of congress was the issue of the so-called demand notes payable in coin for the payment of salaries or other debts of the united states and by a later act made receivable for public dues there was at first a great distrust of this form of paper money and the secretary of the treasury and other public officers in order to create confidence joined in an agreement to receive it in payment of their salaries general scott issued a circular to the army announcing the issue of paper money and advising its acceptance several corporations declined to accept the notes in payment of freight there is an instance recorded of a bank in new york refusing to accept a large amount of them except as a special deposit which deposit was afterwards withdrawn the value of the notes having increased with the rise of gold in which they were payable to fifty per cent premium in other paper money but this and other like expedients gave only temporary relief for the permanent and wholesome administration of financial affairs a great national loan was necessary and mr chase held in the city of new york on the nineteenth of august eighteen sixty one 
a conference with the representatives of the principal bankers of the united states he laid before them with equal eloquence and judgment not only the needs of the government but the safety and value of its securities and after a long and earnest discussion during the course of which it seemed at one time possible that his mission would result in failure he formed a syndicate of banks which advanced the government fifty million dollars and after this loan was successfully placed fifty million dollars more were derived from the same source the government paying seven and three-tenths per cent for the money and later he used the authority conferred upon him by the act of july seventeenth eighteen sixty one to issue fifty million dollars more of six per cent bonds at a rate making them equivalent to seven per cents when congress met in december and the secretary in his first annual report gave an account of his stewardship he reported an aggregate of one hundred and ninety seven million dollars realized from loans in all forms the receipts from customs were less than had been expected and on the other hand the expenditures had grown to a sum much larger than in june had been imagined possible the estimates of the summer session were based upon an army of three hundred thousand men double that number were now under arms the pay and the rations of soldiers and sailors had also been augmented and the secretary found himself under the necessity of asking increased appropriations to the amount of two hundred million dollars to meet this needed sum he proposed to increase the tariff and the direct tax to impose duties on liquors and tobacco on notes and deeds and to modify the income tax to the advantage of the government in the presence of the vast obligations devolving upon the administration he did not hesitate to face the facts and with a courage unusual in history and a sagacity as surprising as his courage he announced to congress that the public debt which on the first of july eighteen sixty was but sixty four million dollars and on the first of july eighteen sixty one was ninety million dollars would probably amount on the first of july eighteen sixty two to five hundred and seventeen million dollars it was apparent that the volume of currency in the country was not sufficient for the enormous requirements of the public expenditure the banks could neither pay coin to the government for bonds nor dispose of them to their customers for specie the weaker institutions were already tottering and the stronger ones feared a crisis which would result in universal disaster they met in convention on the twenty seventh of december and agreed upon a suspension of specie payments which took place the following day the government necessarily followed the example of the banks and the new year began with the melancholy spectacle of all the public and private institutions of the country redeeming their broken promises with new ones the public debt had risen to three hundred million dollars the treasury was almost empty the daily expenditures amounted to nearly two million dollars it was estimated that three hundred and fifty million dollars were needed to pay the expenses of the government to the close of the fiscal year and the treasury had means for meeting the drafts of the government for less than two months in the world of finance as well as in the world of politics it was generally agreed that the only resort of the government was paper money 
leading bankers throughout the united states urged this upon the secretary of the treasury as the only practicable expedient the leading statesmen in both houses of congress were brought with extreme reluctance to the same conclusion to no one was this decision more painful than to mr chase he agreed with the greatest of his predecessors in that famous report which has become a classic in our politics and our finances that the emitting of paper money by the authority of government is wisely prohibited to the individual states by the national constitution and the spirit of that prohibition ought not to be disregarded by the government of the united states the wisdom of the government will be shown in never trusting itself with the use of so seducing and dangerous an expedient the stamping of paper is an operation so much easier than the laying of taxes that a government in the practice of paper emissions would rarely fail in any such emergency to indulge itself too far in the employment of that resource to avoid as much as possible one less auspicious to present popularity if it should not even be carried so far as to be rendered an absolute bubble it would at least be likely to be extended to a degree which would occasion an inflated and artificial state of things incompatible with the regular and prosperous course of the political economy but in spite of all this reluctance mr chase felt that an emergency was upon the government from which this was the only issue he saw that the corporate institutions of the country would not receive the notes of the government unless they were made a legal tender by act of congress this state of things he wrote was the high road to ruin and i did not hesitate as to the remedy he threw the entire weight of his influence upon his friends in congress and urged them to prompt and thorough action in a letter to mr stevens the committee of ways and means he said the provision making the united states notes a legal tender has doubtless been well considered by the committee and their conclusion needs no support from any observation of mine i think it my duty to say however that in respect to this provision my reflections have conducted me to the same conclusion they have reached it is not unknown to them that i have felt nor do i wish to conceal that i now feel a great aversion to making anything but coin a legal tender in payment of debts it has been my anxious wish to avoid the necessity of such legislation it is at present impossible however in consequence of the large expenditures entailed by the war and the suspension of the banks to procure sufficient coin for current disbursements it has therefore become indispensably necessary that we should resort to the issue of united states notes the making them a legal tender might still be avoided if the willingness manifested by the people generally by railroad companies and by many of the banking institutions to receive and pay them as money in all transactions were absolutely or practically universal but unfortunately there are some persons and some institutions which refuse to receive and pay them and whose action tends not merely to the unnecessary depreciation of the notes but to establish discriminations in business against those who in this matter give a cordial support to the government and in favor of those who do not such discriminations should if possible be prevented 
and the provision making the notes a legal tender in a great measure at least prevents it by putting all citizens in this respect upon the same level both of rights and duties and several days later on hearing some intimation that the committee thought he was not specially earnest in desiring the passage of the bill he wrote to mr spaulding it is true that i came with reluctance to the conclusion that the legal tender clause is a necessity but i came to it decidedly and i support it earnestly immediate action is of great importance the treasury is nearly empty i have been obliged to draw for the last instalment of the november loan as soon as it is paid i fear the banks generally will refuse to receive united states notes you will see the necessity of urging the bill through without more delay in both houses of congress the measure received the most violent denunciation on the part of those opposed to it and even those who voted in favor of it explained their votes in speeches filled with deprecation of the necessity which demanded it mr sumner after reciting in an eloquent and impassioned speech the evil which he thought would result from such a measure concluded by saying if i mention these things it is because of the unfeigned solicitude i feel with regard to this measure and not with the view of arguing against the exercise of a constitutional power when in the opinion of the government in which i place trust the necessity for its exercise has arrived surely we must all be against paper money we must all insist upon maintaining the integrity of the government and we must all set our faces against any proposition like the present except as a temporary expedient rendered imperative by the exigency of the hour others may doubt if the exigency is sufficiently imperative but the secretary of the treasury whose duty it is to understand the occasion does not doubt in his opinion the war requires this sacrifice whatever may be the national resources they are not now within reach except by summary process reluctantly painfully i consent that the process should issue and yet i cannot give such a vote without warning the government against the dangers from such an experiment the medicine of the constitution must not become its daily bread mr fessenden chairman of the finance committee opened the debate in the senate he said the ground upon which this clause making these notes a legal tender is put i have already stated it is put upon the ground of absolute overwhelming necessity that the government has now arrived at that point where it must have funds and those funds are not to be obtained from ordinary sources or from any of the expedients to which we have heretofore had recourse and therefore this new anomalous and remarkable provision must be resorted to in order to enable the government to pay off the debt that it now owes and afford circulation which will be available for other purposes the question then is does the necessity exist he did not hesitate to say that he would advocate the use of the strong arm of the government to any extent in order to accomplish the purpose in which we are engaged he would take the money of any citizen against his will to sustain the government if nothing else was left and bid him wait until the government could pay him it is a contribution which every man is bound to make under the circumstances we can take all the property of any citizen 
that is what is called a forced contribution the question after all returns is this measure absolutely indispensable to procure means if so as i said before necessity knows no law say what you will nobody can deny that it is bad faith if it be necessary for the salvation of the government all considerations of this kind must yield but to make the best of it it is bad faith and encourages bad morality both in public and private going to the extent that it does to say that notes thus issued shall be receivable in payment of all private obligations however contracted is in its very essence a wrong for it compels one man to take from his neighbour in payment of a debt that which he would not otherwise receive or be obliged to receive and what is probably not full payment mr collamer argued strongly against the legal tender clause of the bill he considered it neither necessary nor constitutional he referred to the debates in the convention that formed the constitution to show that coin was the only legal tender contemplated by the founders of the government there was an express power to borrow money on the credit of the united states when there is an express power there can be no implied power to do the same thing there were two modes of replenishing the treasury one by taxation the other by borrowing to borrow there must be a lender and a borrower and both should act voluntarily and not compel the lender to part with his money without an inducement the operation of this bill was not so honourable or honest as a forced loan mr spaulding mr conkling mr morill and mr pendleton of the house mr bayard and others of the senate spoke in the same strain of sorrowful apprehension but the bill became a law on the twenty fifth of february eighteen sixty two this important law which mr chase as secretary of the treasury urged upon congress and which mr chase as chief justice of the united states afterwards decided to be unconstitutional authorized the issue of one hundred and fifty million dollars of united states notes not bearing interest payable at the treasury of the united states in denominations of not less than five dollars these notes were to be received in payment of all debts and demands of every kind due to the united states except duties on imports which were payable in coin and they were to be paid by the united states in satisfaction of all claims against the government except for interest upon the public debt which also was to be paid in coin the receipts from customs being devoted to this purpose and these notes were to be lawful money and legal tender in payment of all debts public and private within the united states with the exceptions above mentioned and they were to be received at par in exchange for government bonds by a later act the demand notes were also made a legal tender and some of the banks had refused to receive them without such provision it was thought in february that one hundred and fifty million dollars of this currency would be enough but in june it was evident that this would not be the case one hundred and fifty million dollars more were demanded by the secretary and at once authorized by congress thirty five million dollars of this last issue were to be in denominations of less than five dollars 
even this vast volume of currency did not supply the insatiable demands of the time and the rapidly increasing popularity of the united states notes or greenbacks as they were called induced the government to ask and congress to grant a wide extension of the authority to issue them so that before the war ended one billion two hundred and fifty million dollars of legal tender had been authorized by congress of this four hundred and fifty million dollars were in legal tender united states notes four hundred million dollars in treasury notes payable not more than three years from date and bearing interest not exceeding six per cent four hundred million dollars in treasury notes redeemable after three years bearing a currency interest not exceeding seven and three tenths per cent this full authority was not availed of by the secretary of the treasury the legal tenders outstanding on the thirtieth of june eighteen sixty four amounted to six hundred million dollars and a year later under the administration of mr fessenden they amounted to six hundred and sixty nine million dollars the public debt at the close of the fiscal year eighteen sixty four was one billion seven hundred and forty million dollars and the next year two billion six hundred eighty two million dollars which was increased some two hundred million dollars by the necessary expenses that followed as a sequel of the war this is not the place to reopen the controversy which outlasted the war and for years afterwards was an element of disorganization in politics and of a bitter and somewhat demoralizing dispute in both houses of the congress of the united states it will probably be the verdict of posterity as it was the opinion of the ablest statesmen of the time that the legal tender act was a necessary exercise of the powers of the government in a time of supreme emergency that the result of that act was all that its advocates hoped for in sustaining the government in a period of vast and compulsory expenditure and that the evils which grew out of it great as they unquestionably were were not so disastrous as the fears of intelligent economists at the time apprehended gold having been driven from circulation by the legal tender notes became at once the favorite commodity for speculation in wall street and while the premium upon it rose to a certain extent in proportion to the increase of the volume of paper money and was subject to violent fluctuations in consequence of military successes or disasters there was no such method in the course of its quotations as to render them explicable by either of these influences it had become so to speak a fancy stock and there was no more reason for its wilder fluctuations than for those of other securities which rise and fall in obedience to the currents of wall street and without reference to intrinsic values just before the passage of the legal tender bill the premium upon gold was four and three-eighths per cent and shortly after it became a law the premium fell to one and a half but it gradually rose until in the middle of july it was seventeen in the middle of october thirty two and a half and at the end of the year thirty four on the twenty fifth of february eighteen sixty three after the legal tender law had been in operation for a year the premium on gold had risen to seventy two and a half the brilliant successes of the national cause at gettysburg and vicksburg reduced it to twenty three and a half 
it rose again in october to fifty six and three eighths and rose no higher than that until the following spring when on the fourteenth of april eighteen sixty four it was quoted at eighty eight and on the twenty second of june as the consequence of an ill-advised bill passed by congress to prevent speculation in gold the premium climbed at once to the frightful altitude of a hundred and thirty following the day afterwards to one hundred and fifteen on the first of july it jumped to one hundred and eighty five on the second it fell back to one hundred and thirty and on the sixth the unfortunate law born of a short-sighted patriotism was repealed the mischief however was not yet over for five days later there was a rise to one hundred and eighty five above par the highest figure attained during the war followed by a sharp fall which continued until gold was quoted on the twenty sixth of september at eighty seven thus falling nearly one hundred points in less than three months there was no warrant in the financial or the military condition of the country for these wild fluctuations they were the offspring of the desperate efforts of cupidity and enterprise which found their predestined prey in the fears and apprehensions of more timid speculators the secretary of the treasury was authorized in march eighteen sixty four to sell surplus gold for the purpose of checking this speculation and in april the premium having risen to seventy five mr chase went in person to new york to try the effect of the sale of cash gold upon the trade in phantom gold the day he arrived the speculators defied him by running the premium to eighty eight he sold about eleven million dollars reducing the premium to sixty five with convulsive fluctuations but when the pressure of the treasury was removed the price of gold mounted as before the same experiment was frequently tried afterwards with more or less success the troubles of the time which had reduced the treasury of the united states to a condition of impoverishment had exercised as was natural exactly the contrary effect upon the banks of new york the timidity of capital had accumulated a great surplus of money in these institutions with a far smaller number of loans and discounts than usual the deposits amounted at the end of eighteen sixty one to one hundred and forty six million dollars at the suggestion of john j cisco the assistant treasurer in new york the secretary of the treasury adopted a system of temporary loans which was sanctioned by congress in a clause of the legal tender law and the authority thus given was increased by successive acts until the limit was fixed at one hundred and fifty million dollars these loans were not only of great advantage to the government as well as to the lenders but they also served as a useful balance to the money market in times of severe pressure the reimbursement of large sums was often the means of temporary relief another expedient authorized by congress on the first of march eighteen sixty two was the issuing of certificates of indebtedness to such creditors of the united states as chose to receive them in payment of audited accounts they were payable one year from date with interest at six per cent the power to issue them was unlimited and their extensive issue led at last to their serious depreciation another important clause of the legal tender act in addition to those we have mentioned was that which authorized the secretary of the treasury to issue coupon or registered bonds to an amount not exceeding five hundred million dollars 
redeemable at the pleasure of the united states after five years and payable twenty years from date and bearing interest at the rate of six per cent per annum payable semi-annually they were to be exempt from taxation by state authority and the coin from duties on imports was to be set aside as a special fund for the payment of interest on the bonds and notes of the united states and for other specified purposes these were the famous five-twenty bonds which issued at first at a slight discount below par and paper justified the faith and the sagacity of their earliest purchasers by a steady rise during all the years of their existence and were all paid in gold or converted into other securities long before the time fixed for their redemption all these measures the secretary said in his annual report of december eighteen sixty two worked well if congress had passed at the previous session the national banking law which he urged upon it he thought that no financial necessity would at that time have demanded additional legislation but the bill which had been introduced for that purpose a year before had found few supporters its only advocate of prominence in the house of representatives was samuel hooper of massachusetts a gentleman whose sound judgment and large knowledge of financial subjects gave great and deserved weight to his opinions he could do nothing more at the moment than to obtain leave to bring in a bill for that purpose but in the course of the year that followed the absolute necessity for some such measure became every day more apparent the coin in the country variously estimated at from a hundred and fifty million dollars to two hundred and ten million dollars was absolutely inadequate to the demands of the time the system of state banks in existence at the beginning of the war was not only incommensurate to the needs of the country but radically vicious in itself there was no uniformity of credit no guarantee whatever of authenticity in circulation out of one thousand five hundred banks there were said to be fewer than three hundred whose notes were not counterfeited there was but a comparatively small number whose notes were not subject to discount outside of the state in which they were issued and a citizen travelling from the mississippi to the hudson found the contents of his wallet changing in value whenever he crossed a state line of course with the immense demand for currency created by the war all these evils were greatly increased and aggravated and when congress met again in december eighteen sixty two the secretary urged anew with the added weight of authority which came from a more fully matured plan and an enlarged experience the scheme which had been treated with neglect the year before for establishing a safe and uniform currency throughout the nation the national bank act was prepared in accordance with the views of mr chase by e g spaulding of new york and samuel hooper of massachusetts who were members of the committee of ways and means and during the month of december eighteen sixty one it was printed for the use of that committee the bill encountered most earnest opposition in the committee which was busily engaged on the loan and internal revenue bills and other important work and it was finally laid aside in his report for eighteen sixty two mr chase again notwithstanding the suspension of specie payments earnestly advocated the measure he said that among the advantages which would arise from its passage would be that the united states bonds would be required for banking purposes a steady market would be established and their negotiation greatly facilitated 
it is not easy to appreciate the full benefits of such conditions to a government obliged to borrow it would reconcile as far as practicable the interests of existing institutions with those of the whole people and would supply a firm anchorage to the union of the states the same bill which had been printed for the use of the committee of ways and means was afterwards introduced by mr sherman and referred to the finance committee of the senate from which it was reported by him on february two eighteen sixty three with amendments ten days later it passed that body by a vote of twenty three to twenty one and on the twentieth of the same month it also passed the house of representatives by a vote of seventy eight to sixty four the bill is understood to have had the sanction of every member of the administration and president lincoln earnestly advocated its passage in his annual message in eighteen sixty two and in eighteen sixty three he said the enactment by congress of a national banking law has proved a valuable support of the public credit and the general legislation in relation to loans has fully answered the expectations of its favorers some amendments may be required to perfect existing laws but no change in their principles or general scope is believed to be needed again in eighteen sixty four he thus referred to it the national banking system is proving to be acceptable to capitalists and to the people changes from state systems to the national system are rapidly taking place and it is hoped that very soon there will be in the united states no banks of issue not authorized by congress and no bank-note circulation not secured by the government that the government and the people will derive great benefit from this change in the banking system of the country can hardly be questioned the national system will create a reliable and permanent influence in support of the national credit and protect the people against losses in the use of paper money whether or not any further legislation is advisable for the suppression of state bank issues it will be for congress to determine it seems quite clear that the treasury cannot be satisfactorily conducted unless the government can exercise a restraining power over the bank-note circulation of the country the bill was warmly advocated by those who appreciated its advantages and as earnestly opposed by those who thought they foresaw the growth of a powerful monetary system dangerous to the popular liberties its chief opponent in the senate was collamer who ably represented the traditions of the past it was most efficiently advocated by john sherman of ohio to whom was reserved a part of great honor and usefulness in bringing to a close the financial history of the war the principal features of this comprehensive scheme were to open the, to private capital the business of national banking so freely that there could be no reasonable accusation of privilege or monopoly to give to the whole system of banks a homogeneous circulation of notes having a common impression authenticated by a common authority made safe by an adequate provision of specie and secured for redemption by the pledge of united states bonds deposited in washington and finally by the act of march three eighteen sixty five to tax out of existence the circulation of the banks organized under state laws the whole system being thus based upon government bonds several hundreds of millions of united states notes were funded in bonds 
it was the secretary's belief afterwards fully justified under the wise and masterly administration of mr sherman that this system of national banks would be of invaluable assistance in the resumption of specie payment by the government he said if temporarily these associations redeem their issues with united states notes resumption of specie payment will not thereby be delayed or endangered but hastened and secured for just as soon as victory shall restore peace the ample revenue already secured by wise legislation will enable the government through advantageous purchases of specie to replace at once large amounts and at no distant day the whole of this circulation by coin without detriment to any interest but on the contrary with great and manifest benefit to all interests the bill was constantly amended and improved and although it might be too much to say that it was ever rendered entirely perfect it is perhaps not unquestioned that few more wise and beneficent measures have ever been devised by american statesmanship no financial operations so prodigious as those which we have thus briefly sketched had ever before been known the largest loans ever made by england were those which she negotiated in the terrible years of eighteen twelve to thirteen when she was fighting at the same time napoleon and the united states the british government borrowed in those years five hundred and thirty four million dollars only a little more than mr chase borrowed in nine months the estimated wealth of the united kingdom at that time and of the loyal states in eighteen sixty was almost the same in each case something over ten thousand millions of dollars nowhere we believe do the annals of the world record such an appreciation of the public credit as that which is seen from the time of mr lincoln's accession to the presidency until the period of the resumption of specie payment after the close of the war it was hard for mr buchanan's secretaries of the treasury to borrow money to pay the ordinary expenses of the government at twelve per cent mr chase as soon as congress had given him command of the machinery required in the legal tender currency the popular loan and the national banking law found no great difficulty in supplying at six per cent the ravenous wants of a most costly war and under the operation of the laws provided for him and similar legislation called for by his successors the government credit gradually rose until its four per cents sold at one hundred and thirty and its three per cents commanded a premium at the beginning the secretary was forced to rely more upon individual patriotism than upon public confidence but long before the war ended he had hundreds of millions at his command in all these important labors mr chase had the constant support of the president mr lincoln exercised less control and a less constant supervision over the work of the treasury than over some other departments but he rated at their true value the industry and the ability of the secretary and the immense responsibility devolved upon his department and contributed to its success in every way in his power he sometimes made suggestions of financial measures but did not insist on their being adopted and when the secretary needed his powerful assistance with congress he always gave it ungrudgingly in regular and special messages he urged upon congress the measures which the secretary thought important and in frequent and informal conferences at the executive mansion with the leading members of both houses he exerted all his powers of influence and persuasion to assist the secretary in obtaining what legislation was needed 
the monetary disorganization which preceded and accompanied the wreck of the confederacy was so complete and so universal that southern writers have taken no pains to preserve any accurate account of their financial system if system it may be called where system there was none their debt ceased to exist their money lost all value at the instant the struggle became hopeless for by the very terms of their certificates of indebtedness they had no worth until after the ratification of a treaty of peace between the united states and the confederate states it is estimated that when the war ended the nominal debt of the confederate states was about thirty five hundred million dollars but these portentous figures had no meaning some confederate writers think the actual cost of the war on the southern side was in the neighborhood of one thousand millions but this from the nature of the case can never be ascertained with exactness their financial management was inefficient and chaotic from the beginning early in the winter of the first year of the war the bank suspended specie payments from the insufficient data obtainable it is estimated that there were about fifty millions of specie in the south at that time divided between the banks and the hordes of individuals this gradually disappeared some was employed in the foreign trade some seized by the government very little came to the surface when the war had ended the paper money had extirpated it in fact the successive issues of paper money were the only events worth mentioning in the financial history of the confederacy the efforts made in other directions to give some solidity to their finances were feeble and nugatory they issued a loan of fifteen millions bearing eight per cent interest this interest was payable in specie which was secured by the pledge of an export duty of one-eighth of one per cent per pound on the cotton sent out of the country this loan was placed at satisfactory rates the interest was paid for a little while as promised in specie but the poverty of the insurrectionary government finally forced even this sacred debt to go to default the cotton loans negotiated in europe had a certain success but the money resulting from them was mostly spent beyond the atlantic and afforded little relief to the straitened treasury at richmond heavy loans were made with the banks in the southern states when they matured they were paid in treasury notes the banks under the stimulus of the war and of the demands of the richmond government rapidly multiplied their circulation specie payments being suspended there was no check upon expansion unsafe as the currency of the banks was it was still regarded as more secure than the flood of paper money sent out by the confederate financiers at richmond and gradually disappeared from circulation being hoarded by the provident as a nest egg for quieter times but in the course of the war the banks were ruined by the annihilation of the paper values which formed their principal assets and their carefully hoarded bills when brought to light were almost as worthless as the vanished confederate currency there was properly speaking no financial management of the insurrection issues of bonds were authorized by the congress and made by the successive secretaries of the treasury but they bore no proportion to the ever-increasing expenses of the war and the deficit had to be met by printing more money which at last grew less valuable than the paper on which it was printed there was in the end no definite relation between the price of gold and the value of the confederate currency in the north there was great fluctuation of such relative values but they were generally the same at a given moment throughout the country 
in the days of the wildest gambling in wall street the quotations made there governed the price of gold in boston philadelphia and chicago but in the south it could hardly be said that quotations existed at richmond the seat of the confederate government the gold dollar was frequently worth fifty or more paper dollars while in the interior the business of the country was being transacted on a basis of five for one and even in the final throes of the insurrection the currency never became so worthless in the rural districts as it was in the very shadow of the capital of virginia as the confederate securities were intrinsically valueless except in the event of final success their holders were sure sooner or later to lose their principal but the confederate loan was handled with such singular incapacity that its promoters did not derive from it even such advantage as was practicable it is true that james m mason the confederate commissioner in london did succeed in september eighteen sixty two in placing cotton bonds to the value of some sixty thousand pounds through the house of w s lindsay m p an ardent southern sympathizer this was speedily absorbed by the needs of the rebel navy and lindsay proposed a far more extensive scheme of finance based on the delivery at southern ports of cotton belonging to the confederate government at the price of four pence a pound this would have afforded a large profit to those who actually got their cotton and sold it in england but before this plan was carried into effect baron erlinger and mr slidell had arranged a scheme for placing a confederate loan in england and the cotton scheme of mason and lindsay was withheld so as not to embarrass the more brilliant operation the loan was put on the market on the eighteenth of march eighteen sixty three with all the appearance of a dazzling success five millions sterling were subscribed the first day the applications coming from every part of europe and before the books closed sixteen millions had been nominally subscribed and the certificates commanded a premium of five per cent which however immediately dropped to one or two mr mason wrote to richmond in a tone of exultation over the triumphant success of our infant credit it shows malgre all detraction and calumny that cotton is king at last the triumph was short-lived a few days later the loan began to drop in the market and the erlingers came in a panic to mr mason telling him that unless the price was somehow kept up the loan would be wrecked he therefore authorized them to buy in behalf of the confederate government a million pounds worth of the securities and as this did not prove effectual in sustaining prices he afterwards increased his order a half million more this desperate expedient checked the disaster for a little while the confederates hoped to sell out their holdings at a profit but the rise never came in his final report of the transaction mr mason shows one million three hundred eighty eight thousand five hundred pounds on the wrong side of his ledger and only twenty six thousand pounds on the right after gettysburg and vicksburg the loan dropped thirty per cent and the confederate credit was evidently wounded to death mr slidell afterwards gently reproached his government for not having let him know beforehand that vicksburg was to fall as in that case they could have disposed of the balance of their loan all this while mr mason and his dispatches deplored the blindness of the germans who were eagerly investing their savings in united states bonds at less than fifty cents on the dollar he even went to frankfurt to warn them against this mistaken policy taking an interpreter with him as he was not himself polyglot he did not succeed in convincing them and came back to france at least so much wiser for his journey 
that he declined a proposition of baron erlinger to destroy the credit of the united states abroad by issuing an official and authoritative statement that the confederate states would not hold themselves liable for a dollar of the united states loan End of chapter 11